In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. If you just notice people, to get your eyes off yourself and be other-centered, that's one of the first steps in being outwardly focused and being more like an evangel. Hey, I've got good news. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Jim Ramos, and I'm here with my producer, co-host, and brother from another mother, Dale Colbert. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Jim. It's been a beautiful day so far. So far, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Going to hit 100 in Oregon. So excited about that. So, hey, I got to tell First of all, guys, if you're listening, I want to encourage you guys to write a review. Give us your feedback. We really get encouraged by that. We want, we want to hear your hero stories. We're just walking you through this life. You are the hero uh, that God has initiated in your family and so man we want you to step up and do that and let us know how god is using this ministry to benefit you and so dale i tell you man i'm really excited about this guy i read his book in a tree stand on the island of lanai hunting axis deer and uh, the book made some very very powerful points that i've actually implemented in my life personally and you know we live in this world i, I know i'm experiencing this a lot where, you know, is it, do you get the vaccine or do you not get the vaccine? You know, is it healthy or is it poison? Social justice or biblical justice? Are you a liberal or are you conservative? All the, what news is real news? What news is fake news? All these things are going on. And it hit me about a month ago that all that matters is Jesus. We are called to be a light for Jesus in this world, no matter where we stand politically, no, no matter where we stand with this vaccine stuff no matter where we stand with any of this stuff our job as believers is to tell people and to be a light of jesus and so when i read this book it really helped me to come back into true and so i'm really excited about this i'm excited to have our uh guest on today doug pollock and uh it's really going to be a great 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 episode but before we do that do you have a man word for us today i do and the word that i chose today is guide and uh oh, god wow that was a good thing i even mentioned the word in my talk there yeah so i i just uh, our guest i've been seeing a lot of things that say he's a guide for men and uh, i know that we strive to do that as well to guide the men into those places and to guide them into their best version 
And uh, so I think that's that's a key thing. And as men, we should be doing that. Well, and I think we need to guide people to the Savior. I mean, that's that's what we're guiding them to. I mean, that's so important. So, hey, do you have a right. hero story for us? Yeah, man. We had a, a friend of ours that sent something in, and, uh, man, it's so powerful. This guy knew you were coming to an Iron Sharpens Iron conference in his area. So what he did was he started binging podcast and the first one he came across was this one interview we did with brian who was very very overweight and because of his overweightness he actually lost his eyesight and it just uh empowered this guy yeah encouraged him and uh, he took his life and he turned it around and he has lost a ton of weight and his life is completely different now and actually he's now one of our arena coaches and so um yeah, I just wanted to share that. It's pretty cool uh, how the inspiration just worked in that. Yeah, he when I met uh, Aaron, he was over 500 pounds, and now he's half yeah. the man he used to be. Yeah. He's about 250 now, and so man, what a and we're, what a what a yeah. what an amazing story for him. And so that's really really cool. Hey, I want to bring on our guest today, Doug Pollock. Doug has been married to Martha. How long have you been married to Martha, Doug? Well, we just celebrated uh, number 28 here on July 31st. 20, oh, that's funny. We celebrated 29 on August 1st. So we're right there, <laughs> man. So, hey, congratulations on that. That's awesome. He lives in Cincinnati, sure. Ohio with their two sons. Doug is an author, speaker, YMCA chaplain, and an affiliate of Athletes in Action whose focus is to help Christ followers worldwide increase the quantity and the quality of their spiritual conversations in practical, doable, and authentic ways. Over the years, Doug's ministry endeavors have taken him to 42 different countries and most of the United States to share God's never-changing message in an ever-changing world. And isn't that appropriate for today? Currently, his book, God Space, which is our topic today, uh, has been what he's used to do workshops. It's kept him busy over the years. And I think that book was written in 2009. Am I right, Doug? That is correct. So, man, you've got a ton of traction out of this book, and it's a real thin book. It's easy to read, and, uh, man, it's just very engaging. I really enjoyed that. So, hey, uh, Doug, before we bring you into the interview questions, you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm passionate about life, passionate about uh, um, the, the life that God has given me, and passionate about making him known. I... Uh, don't know why, but the moment I became a Christian, I figured if it was good for me, it was good for everyone else. And uh, because I was passionate about that, uh, I, I had a lot of zeal and not necessarily a lot of knowledge or wisdom. And actually, my book is written really uh, to indict myself because I actually, in chapter two, talk about 10 things I did all the time to close conversations down. And so um, in my early years, I burned a lot of bridges because uh, while I meant well, uh, many times um, I was just missing some things and uh, mm -hmm. often the conversation was one and done. It really wasn't honestly a conversation. It was more of my monologue. And so um, <laughs> as, as God has taken my failure uh, and helped me to understand uh, some of the things I was doing wrong, what he's really allowed me to do is is to increase the quantity and the quality of my God conversations and, and to do that for others. And it's uh, been an exciting ride of just really getting on the, the surfboard of 
and riding God's spear and wherever he takes me. So today I'm here with you. Well, I'll tell you what, I really did appreciate uh, some things in the book because I'm like you, you know, you're trying to drive a conversation and realize, man, this is getting nowhere. And so how do we, how do we open the door for the gospel in a real non-threatening way? And I thought you have some great, great tools that I really appreciate. And I think our guys are going to really benefit from this. So, but before we do that, I'm going to throw you into what we call our rapid fire round. Okay. So what I do here, Doug, is I'm going to throw out five phrases from your book. And I just want you to explain the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. First, first phrase, Jesus glasses. Jesus glasses. That's seeing the world the way Jesus does. Jesus said, we get the idea in scripture that when Jesus looked upon the world, that he ached, that mm. he uh, had a compassionate response. He saw people as sheep without a shepherd. And so when we start to see the world the way Jesus does, we start to act the way Jesus did towards other people. That's excellent. How about this one? Stepping out and entering in. Well, I love the title of your show and, and your ministry, Men in the Arena. And, and yeah. ultimately, we really have to man up here. And that meaning that Jesus told us to go. We have to step out believing that we've been ordered by um, Jesus himself to go. And stepping out is just doing that, saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm going to respond to your call and then step in to someone else's story. And ultimately, our, our real work here um, in doing the work of an evangelist is to, I think, um, to discern what God's already been up to in someone else's life before mm -hmm. we even got there and enter that story. Yeah, I love the, your book title, God Space. You know, he's going ahead of us. And so when mm -hmm. we get to that place that he's already been, what is he doing? And I've got some great stories that I want to share because of your book. I think they'll really encourage you. And so stepping out, what we call that, stepping out of the anonymous bleachers and entering into the arena. So excellent. So how about this one? In information to transformation. Well, I've had a chance to... I'm I'm an ath you know I've got an athletic background and and I've spent a lot of time in the locker room at halftime, and what you do in the locker room at halftime is you analyze what went wrong and what went right and and so, um, you know, ultimately, um, I think so much of what church has become for so many people is just giving people the right information. Yeah, the reality is. Um, Jesus really came to transform our lives. And uh, I believe that one of the, the unique um, privileges we've been given is to step into someone's life and raise the kinds of questions, have the kind of conversation that might be used by the Holy Spirit to move them from the information to application, which, you know, after application, uh, someone begins to apply something, they'll actually begin to experience transformation. You know, it's funny, Doug. I, I preached at my church yesterday, and the topic was called "What's Ma What Matters Most out of Psalm 46.10. And I told the story of the first time I heard about the gospel. I was coming back from basketball practice with my campus life director, who was our, my basketball coach. And for the first time in my life, I learned that I could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and not simply a religion 
And what he was saying mm. was, your whole faith is based on information, going to church, but Christianity mm-hmm. is based on transformation, a relationship with God. And, and that that changed my life. That guy is now the vice president of our organization. And so that's a huge thing. So how about this one? God, I thought this one was, a, was interesting. God's teeter-totter. Well, um, I was trying to capture the whole idea that there's a balance going on in a good conversation. If, this is my premise, if the kingdom of God advances one conversation at a time, we, we need to balance the idea of talking with listening. Mm. And so in my book, uh, God's teeter-totter represents this ebb and flow back and forth. Hey, if I'm listening well, then... Next, what if I ask some good questions to get someone to articulate what it is they're really believing and thinking? And if I'm, you know, and, and I'm hearing them well again, then I'm going to have more questions. So there's kind of this back and forth teeter-totter where I think a lot of us have been trained in the church to be answer people. Yeah, We don't do much listening. We just show up ready to give people the answers we think they need to hear. And if we aren't careful, we're really not hearing them. So our answers are just kind of like hitting Teflon. They just roll off their back. Well, you know, like I got trained in the four spiritual laws. Then I was trained in the Romans road. And then Youth for Christ now does a thing called My Story, Your Story, His Story. And so you get you get trained in these modes or these methods, and they're all great methods. But if you're not really listening and going back and forth, you get locked into a mode. You can turn people off. And, and you called those, in your book, you called those, uh, killers, like conversation killers, you know, they're, they're, yes. they're, they're spiritual conversation killers. And so I think that's what you're saying, right? Is to avoid that spiritual conversation killer, you need to go back and forth with listening and responding. Absolutely. I found that people are more than willing to talk about God. They just don't want to be parented. They don't want to be shamed. They don't want to, they don't want to feel like they've met a, 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 a Jesus, uh, rep who is has this agenda and and ultimately is so agenda driven that they feel like they're talking to a telemarketer at 6 30 at night when they call and when you sit down for dinner you know there's no there's no listening going on whatsoever well you know it's funny i've you've got two sons i've got three sons mine are 23 25 and 27 and now that they're adults and entered into life i I'm I'm going, man, I need to change how I even communicate with my kids. It's always been me speaking mm. to them. And what they're saying is you need to listen and shut up, dad. So, uh, and that goes mm-hmm. with faith, com- faith conversations, all conversations. So, Hey, I want to, I want you to give us a 30,000 view answer to this question in your book. Okay. You said this, you said, how do you start a spiritual conversation with family, friends, and coworkers without turning them off? Now that your whole book is based on that, but a 30,000 of you, uh, foot view, what would you say to that? I would say that you have to start where they are, not where you'd like them to be. Oh, that that is huge. Often in our conversations, when we attempt to uh, bring the good news to someone, we have in mind what we want to tell them. Yes, the reality is if we believe that God has already at work in this person's life, drawing them to himself, and that we get to enter that conversation he's been having with them then we need to 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 start by finding out where are they and what kind of conversation has god already been having and join that conversation if we can do that 
then uh, ultimately I think we'll increase the quantity and quality of our conversations because we're joining something that's already been going on, that God has already been at work in their life. Well, you know, that's really interesting, Doug, because in your book, again, I just really appreciated your book. It surprised me, to be honest with you, because when I get a book on sharing your faith, I'm, I kind of go, okay, here we go again. I'm going to get shamed. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. get guilted. And it was really right. great tools. You did go through the 10 spiritual conversation killers and your number one killer. I don't think we'll get through all 10, but your number one killer is simply an unbelieving heart. And you wrote this, and this is really important. And for me, it was really important to realize, do I really believe that God is who he is and is really doing what he says he's doing in the Bible? You said this, quote, do you really believe the people in your Monday through Saturday world want to talk about spiritual things? If you don't, I urge you to stop reading right now and invite Christ to help you with your unbelieving heart. And it seems to me, Doug, that nothing else in this book uh, you continue. You said nothing else in this book will help you until you change your mind about this matter. Will you elaborate on that? Mm, I'd love to. Uh, actually, um, that thought that I penned there uh, happened. I had an epiphany when I was in New Zealand. It, you might know a little bit about New Zealand. You're a little closer to it than I am. Um, <laughs> but in New Zealand, uh, the stats over there indicate that less than 5% of the people are going to church regularly on a Sunday morning. And so Christians over there, and I've been over there six different times doing national speaking tours, Christians over there are pretty convinced that no one in New Zealand wants to talk about God because they aren't showing up at the home game that the Christians are offering on Sunday morning. And I'm like, well, I think actually it's just the opposite. People actually do want to talk about God if you can create a safe space for them to do so. Yeah. And so when I would share stories of how that was happening for me while I was in country, people were simply astonished. Like, like they literally wanted to go and canonize the very spot that it happened in because they were like, this is miraculous. And I'm like, why, why do you think this is so abnormal for you to think this way? And, and it, be, it just hit me that every one of them were getting up every day with the idea that Nobody out here wants to talk about it. And so you kind of, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get what you expect. And because you're not getting up with a heart full of faith, that's what you're experiencing. And so it reconfirms your premise to begin with. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes me think of that uh, statement in the church, you know, I was voluntold to do that, you know? And so I think if I'm a Christian guy and I'm going to, go and tell somebody about Jesus, that's intimidating to me. But if I'm just going to ask, if I'm going to listen, if I'm going to watch for God to open the doors, and I've been doing that, and it has been unbelievable, Doug, unbelievable. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't want to do a spoiler alert here till, till later, because, because <laughs> I've implemented something that you suggest, and it's been off the charts. In fact, we had something happen Sunday that was unbelievable. I mean, it was so unbelievable. Somebody shared it in our church service. But you said this, you said, I wonder what would happen if the body of Christ could create low-risk, high-grace places for people to pursue their need to have spiritual conversations. And what do you mean by that? What is a low-risk, high-grace place? What does that look like? Well, let's just, let's just be honest. I mean, you've been around for a while, so have I, that for a lot of people, the whole idea of going door-to-door, -door, oh. high-risk. Yeah. 
right? The whole idea of standing on the corner, pounding at King Jimmy, the big King Jimmy, and yelling at everybody <laughs> and telling them they're going to hell. High risk. And, and, and people have basically looked at high-risk things and go, if that's what you mean by sharing your faith, I will have no part of it. I'm not Billy Graham. I can't get up like Greg Laurie does in a stadium and speak to, you know, uh, 50,000 people. And that's what, for, for a lot of people, that's what evangelism is. Yeah. And so I think what we need to do is raise the bar by actually lowering it. We need to basically say, hey, we need to create practical, doable steps for people and say, hey, it counts if simply you just notice people, you know, and, yeah. you know, Jesus, you know, saw people with eyes of compassion if you just notice people to get your eyes off yourself and be other centered, that's one of the first steps in being outwardly focused and being more like an evangel, someone who's saying, Hey, I've got good news and, and I'm burdened by the culture I'm living in, by the people I see. And, and to realize that noticing often, at least for me, noticing is if you follow me around, you'd see that almost every conversation that, that it starts happens through something I notice. It's a t-shirt. It's a bumper sticker. It's someone's body language. And so everybody has, you know, uh, two eyes and well, you know, most people can see what's going on around them. At the end of the day, it's doable. It's something that everyone can do. And so I talk about um, ways that everyone in the body of Christ can participate in this sacred work. And realize that only 10% of the people in the body of Christ probably have the gift of evangelism. And they can do the high-wire, high-risk stuff. But we need to lower, raise the bar by lowering it for people who don't have that gift. Well, that's so powerful, man. And I, I, Guys, I want you to really think about that for a second. Are you noticing people? If not, Why? So I think you've addressed a potential deeper spiritual problem, Doug. And I, I think for me personally, just speaking from personal experience, you know, I live about an hour south of Portland in in the arguably the most unchurched state in the country. And for a while there, I was like, you know what, our uh, these people don't want to, you know, kind of a New Zealand thing. And in mm -hmm. the last couple months since reading your book, I've reinvigorated my fire for the gospel. And it's unbelievable how how desperately people want to talk about deep things because they because one they need Jesus two they want to be noticed and you said this in your book do and notice others then come back and share what you saw that maybe you hadn't noticed before then you said this you said noticing is a prerequisite to caring i thought that was mm. powerful caring about others and serving them in tangible ways that smuggle the gospel into their hearts and then you said this, and I love it when Christians say this, stop praying and start noticing. You know, John Maxwell used to say, stop asking God to do what he's already asked you to do. And so yes. I love this. So so will you walk us through this noticing? Uh, you've kind of went through this a little bit, but, but I think it's more than noticing. I think it's caring, and I think it's compassion. So can you go back to that And for a guy who's yeah. like, I, I never notice people. Well, they're all they're all wrapped together, okay. And the story yeah. of the Good Samaritan, I I think Jesus highlighted this. I think, you know, what did the Good Samaritan, 
what did he do that the other two guys didn't do in the story? Well, the other two guys walked on by. They saw, if you would, with their eyes, but their heart wasn't connected with their eyes in the way that Jesus really wanted them to. The Good Samaritan was lifted up by Jesus in the story as someone who saw that man by the side of the road the way Jesus would have hoped he was seen, that his eyes were connected to his heart. He was burdened and he had compassion. And what happened? Once his eyes saw and noticed, he was moved into action through caring intentionally by helping this man by the side of the road. And I think it's the same for us. When when, and, and I would say we're really challenged today. I mean, at the end of the day, that four-inch piece of real estate that gets the most attention in our lives, that thing called a smartphone, um, a lot of times keeps us noticing what's going on around us. A lot of people are saying, you know, I, I just don't have that many opportunities. I'm going, well, I don't think that it's you don't have that many opportunities. I just think you're missing the opportunities that God brings across your path. So noticing is is really uh huge because uh until you start seeing what you've been missing you're probably not going to increase the quantity and quality of your god conversations because you're just not seeing the world the way jesus did and that's where the jesus glasses come in seeing the world lord help me to see the people you know on on my route when i use the word route i'm i'm referring to the fact that every one of us has a route it's where you uh it's where you work out it's where your life naturally takes you to cross the paths of others who are presently outside the faith but inside your reach yep and so every one of us has one of those if i hung out with you 24/7 for a week i could tell you oh here's your route yep and i believe god has given us mail to deliver heavenly mail and everybody has a spiritual address and and our challenge is to find out someone's address so that we might deliver God's mail to the right address. Now, what I think has happened across the country is too often we're sending Jesus junk mail. Mm. We're sending it to every unsaved resident. And why isn't it connecting? Why isn't it engaging? Because we haven't taken the time to notice. We haven't taken the time to really, uh, as they would say in New Zealand, suss out someone's spiritual address so that when we do speak, our words um, are are measured and and they're prepared for someone uh, who's living at the spiritual address they're living at. Well, that's so good, man. I, I want to talk to you about a quote that I think is misused and misquoted. First of all, the guy who they quote didn't actually say it. Nobody knows where this came from for sure, but Will you talk to me about the lie in this statement? It, this is a quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Where's the lie in that? Well, I think a lot of people, um, unfortunately, have felt a lot of shame and guilt around the area of evangelism. And so to get the guilt monkey off their back, if they're, if they're even concerned, if they have any care at all about people around them uh it's really easy to get into uh social justice work and work where we're spending all of our time attempting uh to alleviate people's problems and whatnot and and so a lot of people equate service uh 
and and kind of how would I say um, compartmentalize it mm. instead of realizing that uh, we need to bring the whole gospel to the whole person. And so um, I li I like to say, or a friend of mine kind of got the idea from him that uh, ultimately it's good deeds that create goodwill. And that opens the heart to the good news. Mm. The problem, the problem is, is that in ministry, in mercy ministries, they spend all their time focusing on mercy, the mercy end of it, and maybe never get around to the proclamation of the good news. And then there's other people on the other side of the equation who all they ever want to do is bring words. And because their words aren't accompanied with actions, the words aren't heard. And all I'm trying to tease out in the, in the book is the idea that, hey, it's not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and. Yes. And if you, you, you want to rule out one side of that, then the lie is you're not bringing the whole gospel to the whole person. You're, you're bringing a truncated, a, a compartmentalized gospel that maybe suits your personality type. It may f maybe feel better to you. But at the end of the day, it doesn't square with what Jesus came to bring to the earth. And that's the whole gospel to the whole person. Well, and you said something in your book that's powerful. And I think this assumption is really important for Christian guys to understand. You said that God has given an inner drive for us to know him. You quoted St. Augustine. And then, uh, no, no, St. Augustine said, our heart is not quiet until it rests in thee. And then you said, God has given us an inner drive to know him. And then Rick Warren, you quoted, he said this, the church that doesn't want to grow is saying to the world, you can go to hell. And I think this is really important that you bring out in your book is that everybody on this planet has a God-sized vacuum. That's a C.S. Lewis mm. thing. And we once mm -hmm. we realize that everybody has a God-shaped vacuum and everybody is not quiet until they rest in God's spirit, we need to understand that deep need. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Wow, you're really touching on something that is so powerful. Erwin um, McManus uh, would call these um, soul thirst, uh, a, yeah. a, a thirsty, soul, thirsty soul, and that every one of us, if you think about it, we all have a drive to do something that makes us feel significant. Every one of us has a, a, a deep need to belong, yeah, to feel loved, to feel accepted. Um, every one of us um, has to deal with how do we get rid of our shame uh, over our failures, our, our disgust with ourselves when we've done things that disappoint ourselves. I mean, these are all needs within every human heart. And so uh, when I'm listening to someone, what I'm listening for is to find where that thirst, mm. where they're trying to satisfy that thirst. And unfortunately, a lot of people are trying to satisfy that thirst in lots of ways that are never intended to satisfy, whether it's sexual addiction, porn, whether it's uh, materialism, all the isms, the hedonism, materialism. Uh, you know, I think the Rolling Stones probably got it right, <laughs> totally right. I can't get no satisfaction. Yep. You can try and tr you can try and fill these things, and it's interesting. And, and this would be a, an afterthought after I wrote the book, but I think it's Jeremiah two thirteen where God um, kind of chastens His people because 
He says, hey, you've forsaken me, the stream of living water, and you've turned and you've dug cisterns or wells for yourself and tried to satisfy your thirst yourself. Mm. And ultimately, what I'm trying to do is try to find out when I'm listening to somebody, how are they trying to satisfy their thirst apart from God and then help them to maybe realize, you know, the thing you're looking for, you're not going to find it there. And, and, and until you find your rest in God and God alone, the stream of living water, you're going to keep being thirsty. Yeah, and that goes back to noticing, right? It, it does. Just, it just goes right back there. So I, I want to share with you something. So, okay, so let's do this. Noticing leads to something. And so this is where I think your book separates itself from others. If I have the eyes of Jesus, if I'm looking at the with peripheral vision, and I'm looking at those around me, and I'm noticing those in front of me, I'm going to notice these God-shaped vacuums. I'm going to notice these uh, lo- deep soul longings, and then that's going to lead to something that you call wondering. And I mm. thought this was very powerful. This really separates your books from other books on evangelism. Can you talk to us about this wondering, not wandering, wondering with an O? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I like to do both. I like yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I like to wonder as I wander. There you go. Because because I find that uh, when I do that, uh, God kind of things happen. Wondering is first of all it. God has put a sense of wonder in all of us. And if you've lost your sense of wonder, get around a four-year-old, five-year-old. They say the average four- or five-year-old, they might not, if they're introverted, they might not articulate the questions, but they think of 300 or so questions a day. Wow. Because they're, one, they're wondering about the world around us. And so I think um, if, if the Bible is right when it says that a man's water, uh, heart is like deep waters, who can understand it? For me to walk into someone's life and feel like I've got answers for them, uh, you know, like I know what you should be doing. Well, that's a it's a bit cocky, it's a bit arrogant, it's a bit presumptuous on my part. So what I do when I enter someone's life, it's kind of like going to another country. I'm kind of like a tourist, and and I've been invited into someone's sacred space, and I'm going to begin to wonder about the things I'm listening to. When, when someone makes a comment, you know, I might step back and say, hey, you know, as I'm thinking about what you just said, I'm wondering what is the basis for that belief? And so what wondering does is, in a non-threatening way is it invites someone to think about the very things they say they believe. And many times, I see people repent literally on the spot because as they start to process out loud what they're thinking, they'll stop and go, you know, that sounded kind of stupid, didn't it? <laughs> and and instead of me telling them that or presuming that I knew that, what wondering does is it creates a very non-threatening way to begin helping others. And, and I hate this word, okay? I'm just going to be honest. I haven't found a better word, so if any of your listeners can find one, I'd love to hear it. But what we need to do is help people deconstruct their worldview. Yeah. Because at the end of the end of the day, in order for them to repent and come to the foot of the cross is they have to turn from something, they have to t- turn from what they believe and turn to Jesus 
and trust and rely on him. So what wondering does is it, it kind of, if you would, greases the skids for people to do that. Well, you said in your book, and this was really good, more than anyone, Jesus knew that great questions lead to great thoughts. Many great thoughts are needed on the path from being a self-absorbed person to a God-centered Christ follower. And then you said this, questions help peel back the layers of people's hearts and expose the things that stand between them and God. For all these reasons, mm. questions are usually more important than answers in our conversations. And then you said this, let me say this again. In most of our conversations, questions are no are are more powerful than answers. What do you think about that? Well, after you hear your wow, own yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I will not recant that. That is, yeah, that's good. As they as they say in New Zealand, that's spot on. And I think, <laughs> you know, I, I I travel with Josh McDowell. I was trained to be an answer man. I I love the apologetics. I love spiritual cage fights. I mean, your whole your whole motif of men in the arena. I mean, that's just who I've been. Okay. Yeah. You know, throw me out there with the Mormons, the JWs, throw me in there, you know, with the Muslims, whoever it is, I'm coming at you and we're going at it. And, and before we're done, you're going to tap out and say, you know, Doug, your, your arguments are too lofty for me. Uh, how can I become like you? But I never argued anybody into a new way of thinking. I can't even yes. do it with my wife. If I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, me and so, Okay, so we got something in common there. Unless so, I want her to um, do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I think um, if the people in our lives are not ready for the answers that, we, that we're ready to give them, and let's be honest, most people are not. They're not showing up at our Bible studies. They're not showing up at our church services many times. They're not showing up at even our outreaches. Maybe we'd be wise to be showing up asking more questions because they're not ready for the answers that we have anyhow. Mm -hmm. So um, I think when we become better, and I think in a postmodern and a post-Christian culture, like this is the missing skill for most of our Christian workers. Yeah. Uh, they think if they go to seminary and they get all the right answers and they're able to extrapolate the word of God more powerfully that that is going to be the cure-all to this issue and it's like no you really have to start and do like what the apostle Paul did in Acts 17 when he when he reasoned uh with you know the people at Mars Hill and and I think we need to do more of that and we do that by asking questions and engaging them and listening to people. Well, again, you say in the land of wonder, we give up the notion that we need to have all the answers. We return to a humble mindset, which is often as you're getting the ring and battle the Muslims, right? We return to a humble mindset in which asking, seeking, and knocking are normal. Wondering help us move into spiritual conversations authentically by eliminating canned or awkward transitions. And I think this is really important, Doug, because that's been my problem historically. I, I call it fishing for men. I'm throwing lures. I'm looking for that opportunity to jump in there. And really, when I do that, it really becomes all about me mm. And, mm. and not about them. And it seems to me that when Jesus engaged the woman at the well, when he engaged the blind man, when he engaged children, 
it was all about them. And that's where he was able to bring the truth to people. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's, that's so well said. And, you know, you should have, and maybe you could have introduced me this way to your audience today. <laughs> hey, all, all the way from Cincinnati, we have a unique uh, guest here today. We have a recovering evangelist. <laughs> and, and my recovery started when I realized that it wasn't all about me. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't all about me. In fact, in, in chapter two, when I talk about the 10 spiritual conversation killers, the reason why I killed the conversation is because those things were all about me. And when I started putting the attention on another person and, and whom God loved and started having compassion for them, I found this just this remarkable thing happened. People really do want to talk about the eternity that God has put in their soul. And uh, wondering creates that non-threatening environment. And, and if you look at what's going on in our culture today, I mean, this doesn't take rocket science. Look at what's going on. We've got oh, a polarized culture. Yep. It's nasty out there. And, and, and what we have um, are people yelling across the divide at each other, hey, I'm right about the, the idea of vaccinations or not getting vaccinated. And the reality is the moment you start attacking the other side, listening goes out the window. Neither side's going to listen because I'm attacking you and I'm basically saying you're wrong and implying that I'm right. And I don't know too many people who don't put up their dukes, you know, and want to fight over stuff like that. And so we're not, we're not having civilized conversation. Uh, conversation with convicted civility. And as a result, many times the good news that we have is is not being heard as good news because all we're doing is yelling at people and telling them that we're right and they're wrong. And what wondering does is it it disarms us from that and allows us to enter into someone's space in a way where we could actually have a conversation with convicted civility. That is a really powerful statement in this day and age, Doug, and you said uh, we are polarized, a polarized culture. It is nasty out there, and it really, really is, and and our social media feeds into that, right? So if I'm uh, liberal-minded uh, uh, politically, I'm seeing liberal-minded feeds. Facebook will send me what I want, right, or Instagram or Twitter. Mm -hmm. Same thing if I'm conservative. I'm seeing this, this one side, which is creating this bipolarization and I'll be really honest, Doug, and I, I got to confess this, and I, I need to tell the guys who are listening, guys, listen, I've got caught in this. You know, my this is my side over here, and we really need to repent of that as Christians. I'm not saying you can't have your viewpoint, but I'm saying that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bridge. And if we do anything that hinders other people who are different than us who we know from crossing that bridge, we are failing the gospel message at the core. And we have to get back to this Jesus first. It's all about Jesus. So what can I do to bridge a gap between that person who I'm talking to and Jesus? So guys, we really need to get this right. It is all about Jesus. It is not about your viewpoint. Your mm. viewpoint is your viewpoint. I mean, it was really masterful how Jesus avoided politics. When mm. people tried to suck him in, you know, Doug. So, well, how how would yeah. you, how 
how would you help guys that are listening right now? Because our guys that are listening, these are guys that are in the arena. Uh, they relate to guys like you and me. They have their political views. They have their vaccination views. They have their views on a lot of different things out there. How do you help those guys swing that pendulum back to the middle and bring Jesus to both sides of the fence? Well, first, I'd like to start by asking a question. How, how many of you have experienced great fruit from arguing people into a new way of thinking? I've been there and done it. I feel like I was actually trained to be really good at it. Yeah. And um, I felt like a lot of times I'd walk away smugly and feel like, man, I really dropped some truth bombs on them, didn't I? But you know what? They never wanted to talk to me again. And uh, there was no ongoing relationship. And I think if we're going to err on any side, we ought to err on the side of relationship. Because if if you, if the relationship isn't continuing, then you op- ultimately have no opportunity to speak into uh, a new reality for somebody. And I think, um, you know, I, I like instant results just like with anyone else. But you know, sometimes it takes a long time for someone's worldview to be deconstructed. And we have to be willing to be patient and be committed to that kind of a process, realizing that if the kingdom of God advances one aha at a time, one conversation at a time, one question at a time, one touch at a time, and we look at our own journeys, that's probably the way it happened, then I need to be that for another. I need to be willing to be that. And, and um, I, you know, I don't want to discourage anyone from, you know, that kind of that warrior, passionate kind of response. But there needs to be some tenderness there in terms of realizing that, hey, if, if you're just throwing truth bombs just so you feel better. And, and I had to come to grips with this. One of the reasons I was the guy I was is because I grew up in a family where we all argued our points of view, no one listened to one another. And so once I became a Christian, now I was really right. Now I could point my finger and says, the Bible says, and I felt a certain sense of superiority now that in my family, when it came to arguments, I was going to get the last word. But you know what? That really never worked for me, and, and it never has. And so I would just say to anybody, Who's, who's living that out. How's that been working for you lately? I mean, that's that's Dr. Phil, our, the great theologian. Dr. Phil says, how's, be, how's that been working for you lately? And uh, I just had to come to a place of saying, I don't think this is the way of Jesus. I don't think this, when I look and study his life, this isn't the way he did it. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you say that because I noticed that Jesus to the broken brought grace and to the yes and to the proud brought bought the law. He brought the law. And I think mm-hmm. there is a balance between, I think there is this view out there of Christian niceness, which is just smile and ignore people and let them just go to hell. Then there's this, this other side of the pendulum, which is I'm going to, it's argumentative, it's prideful. I'm going to beat the snot out of you. I'm going to win the argument. I've got, I'm the Bible answer, man. But in between, there's this thing I think called kindness. Kindness is niceness in action. You said this, you said more people have been brought into the church by the kindness 
of a real Christian's love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And then you quote uh, C.N. Bovey, who wrote, kindness is a language the dumb can speak and the deaf can hear and understand. So can you talk to us about how you transition from being this this, arg- this Bible answer man to now this guy who's who's noticing, who's wondering, who's bringing kindness into the conversations? Well, um, I, I, I was having some fun with it, but in all seriousness, I am a recovering evangelist, and my, and my recovery started when I had to repent from some things, and one of the biggies was that I was bringing rightness, not kindness. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and I was convinced that if I brought rightness, you know, and, and I try to tell people, hey, listen, if you're going to win people to Jesus, let's win them in the spirit of Jesus. If your methodology of doing evangelism or engaging people isn't kingdom-driven, then you're missing something. I mean, we're told in First Peter that we're doing this with gentleness and respect. And when I started to analyze a lot of what I was doing, I I don't know that I was very gentle, and I don't know that I was very respectful. And uh, so I had to repent from that. I had to say, I had to align, realign myself with the the big ideas of the kingdom. And uh, when I did that, I, I began to see that there are ways to intentionally still be a warrior, but to be a tender warrior. And to be a warrior who moves out intentionally um under the order of of jesus who said go but as you're going uh you're coming in the spirit of the kingdom and and being kind uh people kindness is is a language the heart other i've been in other countries where i couldn't people couldn't understand the language i was speaking i couldn't understand their language but you know what they could we both could understand the language of the heart they could understand kindness Kind gestures, kind actions, acts of service, things that I would do that would speak uh, the language of love to them. Well, you met, you hit the nail on the head. You said acts of service. And you can, in your book, you said outsiders define us by what we do, not by what we say or by what we believe. Good deeds, you continue, create goodwill, which opens the heart to the good news. And that's exactly what you're saying. You know, I've, I'm mm-hmm. writing a book right now, Doug, called The Full Capacity Man, and it's uh, I'm about three-quarters of the way through it. It's a huge book. It's way bigger. I need to cut it back, but there's <laughs> two sec- two chapters. One is on being gentle, and one is on being a witness, and the tagline mm. for witness is everyone's either a missionary or mission field, which kind of is that mm-hmm. rightly, right ways, hard line, but the other side of it is gentle, and the tagline there is become a gentle giant. And it's really the blending of those two, right? It's being a witness mm-hmm. to the world and being a missionary everywhere you go, yet doing it in a way that people are going to walk away thinking, okay, this guy is a guy who I actually like this guy. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I do want to talk to you about something, though, that I've, I've saved this to the end because this is rock. Okay. Uh, because it all <laughs> leads to this, right? Because, because we always want to give our guys boots on the ground, right? And so – I am working on wondering, and I am working on noticing and asking the right questions. So I'm working on those things right now. But after I read your book, I thought, okay, this is one thing I can do now 
without practice. So I implemented something from your book because I'm so tired of being on one side or the other politically. I'm so tired of being on one side or the other with this vaccine or I'm, I'm so tired of being on these sides. I'm like, I want to bring Jesus to people. I want to be a light. I want to be salt. Mm. How do I do mm. it in a way that's not going to be overly aggressive? How can I do it in a way that's going to be kind? How can I do it in a way that's going to be, um, have a ministry focus that's other centered and centered and not ego centered. And so I implemented something that has been unbelievable. And this is in your book and I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read what you wrote in your book. You said the next time you okay. go to a rest, the next time you go to a restaurant, find out your server's name. When he or she brings your food, thank the person explain that this is your custom to thank God for every meal. Look the person in the eye, use his or her name and ask if there's currently anything going on in the person's life that you could pray for when you thank God for the food. I have been doing that. And it mm. has been unbelievable. We were we had a, a a deal last weekend. We went on a river float and at the end of the day we went to have some lunch. Our waitress came over. This is the last this is the last thing that happened. So this is the most fresh in my mind, right? So this is the last time I went out to eat. Mm. Learned uh-huh. her name was learned her name was Kim. Again, I'm always a 20% tipper, so I got tired of being a 20% tipper and just being nice. I wanted to be more than nice. I wanted people to remember me for something more than a 20% tip. And so I said, hey, Kim, uh, hey, and I pull her over close. I don't make it a big boastful thing. I kind of pull her over. I go, hey, I just want to let you know that we we pray before our food, and we're going to pray for you today. Is there anything I can pray for you for? She goes, oh, my gosh, yes, pray for my faith. Pray for my life. I, 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 I've started. Re- I, I was born and raised Jehovah Witness, and I realized after reading my, a different Bible that this wasn't true. I came to Christ. My family ostracized me. Uh, I finally mm. led my husband to Christ. He goes, she goes, I just want to be strong in the faith. And she literally bowed her head right there, and the food mm. hadn't come. The food hadn't come yet. See, I, I've learned I have mm. to ask them before the food comes because sometimes they don't bring the food out. It's another person. So I asked her before the food came out, and she's got her head bowed, and the guys with me are like, Jim, she's got her head bowed behind you. So we end up praying for this gal and with this gal. And so another story, I was at the coast of Oregon, and this guy was waiting on us, and he was a rough-looking dude. He had a, a flame a flame buff uh, for a mask, you know, flames like a biker mm. mask, long yeah, hair, yeah. really scraggly beard, some 20-something guy. And I'm like, okay, because I'm wrestling with this going, okay, Lord, I need to do this. But even just doing that is hard. And I just said, Hey buddy, what, uh, his name's Nate. I said, Nate, um, I just want to let you know, we pray for you, uh, for our meal. Is there anything specifically I pray for you for? He goes, man, he goes, I'm suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm a, can you please pray for me? Oh man. He just unpacks, just unpacks his world in front of me. And this Mm. is something that has been so powerful in my life and in my wife's life, my wife will say something like, well, that's your thing that you're doing. And she loves it, but that's not her thing, but she loves to watch me do it. But just to minister to people who I've never seen before, I've had people running away from me as they're yelling their prayer requests. I mean, it's really crazy what people say, but I just want to say, Doug, this to me is such a non-threatening way for me to share my faith with somebody else and to make it about them where did this mm. idea come from? I I will do this pro- the rest of my life. This is so mm. good. So can you talk to us about this? Well, um, at the end of the day, I'm always looking for practical, doable, and authentic ways yeah. that, the, that the church can be the church in our, in our everyday world. And so I know a lot of Christians go out to eat a lot and kind of, you know, it, it's something that we all tend to do. And, uh, 
I think it really just comes back from an idea of, of praying it on them instead of laying it on them. Yeah. You know, not, you know, your, your waitress, obviously, how would she react and say, Hey, you know, while you're bringing the food out, would you mind if, if I uh, presented the gospel to you? <laughs> I don't know that. I, I, I think for most that your response would be negative, if not downright, you know, indignant. What's the difference between saying, hey, would you mind if I share the gospel with you? Because in a real sense, you are sharing the gospel in this sense. You are saying, hey, I want to beseech God on your behalf. I want I want God to be moving in your life. And, and I'm reaching out to you as one of his ambassadors. And so you're, you're, it's just amazing to me how sometimes how we posture things and the different response we get. And so I think, uh, you know, maybe you could say, innocent is a dove, shrewd is a snake. You could say, uh, there's so much in the Bible that talks about wisdom. Be wise towards outsiders. He who wins souls is wise. So to me, it just represents an expression of, of wisdom uh, and how we can, in a non-threatening way, uh, put it out there for folks and let them decide how much they want to Say or not say, and I, I don't know what your experience has been thus far. I've never had anybody get upset with me, and I've never had anybody go. Mostly what I get is, this is like the nicest thing anybody's ever asked to do for me. I get a lot of that. I've had waitresses where they tear up and start telling me the drama going on in their life, and, and, and I'm feeling bad because I know that they've got a job to do, and I'm kind of like, okay, okay, that's enough. I'll pray for that. You got to get back to work because for a moment, the thin veil of heaven has been breached. And there's something, there's God space that's been created. Something otherworldly is happening. And, and they sense it because they're spiritual beings. Well, and that's so powerful that's because so powerful you, it's, it's the title of your book. You've created God space. Yeah, you know, I, we had a waitress at Sherry's uh, after my son's wedding. We went to breakfast, and there's a lot of us there. And I just, I don't want to make it really boastful and prideful and public. So I brought her over, and I said, "Hey, I, you know, pray for you, because you're our waitress. We pray for our meal." And she kind of went, "Well, I, I don't know, oh, oh," and, you know. And then she went, "Well, I'm a single mom of four. Can you pray for me?" You know. And so, what I've learned, at Doug, and t tell me what you think about this: people in this day and age, more than ever, are lonely. And people want to talk about themselves. Those two things combined are oh. a recipe for God space. Absolutely. And and if you if you you're reading the stats and realize that most people, especially where you live, are not going to church, where do they find that place? Where where do you go? Because for a lot of people, when they when they look at church, that's a scary place to go. And that's why I try to help Christians realize, you know, the safest place to talk about God is in a bar for most people, if they're, you know, they're bar people, because they got their music playing, they've got their environment, and that's where they feel the safest. But we always want them to come to our place. And I, I'm, uh, this is after I wrote the book, but uh, I would say today that we need to completely change our game plan, that we're spending all of our time and money on home games, and Jesus told us to play away games. We need to spend more time and energy on away games. 
going to where we are in the minority, where where our music's not being played, and meet people there. That's where they feel most comfortable talking about the spiritual, the, what God has put in them. Well, it's so fun, man. I was uh, buying some shorts just the other day with my wife and uh, the gal working with us. We started having a conversation and trying to create God space. And uh, I got a phone call from her fiance two days ago. They want me to do premarital counseling with them. So you just, you just nice. never know. You just never know what right. God is going to do. We were floating down this uh, the Saniem River uh, just uh, last weekend, and there's this guy. He looked like J- uh, Buff Jesus. Six foot one, 180 pounds, <laughs> great, great body, long hair. Now the guy's listening, go, Ramos, what, what? Anyway, so he's got a huge cross on his chest. And I told the guys with me, I go, who's going to be the first one to ask him about the cross? We're w- w- noticing and wondering. So one of the guys goes, hey, buddy, uh-huh. tell me about the cross. And he goes, man, he goes, I love Jesus. And I go, well, you look like a buff Jesus. And we started laughing, but we had this great conversation. He's a Catholic guy. Had this great conversation uh-huh. with him and, and God. And I said, and you know, got to share, a, I love this series called The Chosen. I said, hey, you you should check out The Chosen. You'd really like, we had this great opportunity, this guy that we never would have had if we didn't wonder and if we didn't ask. And and mm. here's, what I, here's what else, Doug, and you didn't bring this up, but let's talk about this as we close out our time together. You know, I've got three sons. They are going to be leading families. You have two sons. They are going to be leading families. How important is wondering, is peeling back the layers with questions, is praying for your waiter or waitress? How important is that when you model that before your kids? Well, um, what you're doing, if you're modeling that, is you're casting a vision for how to do life in, in, in a God-centered, wise way. And so, mm. like, uh, we have a hot tub, and I would tell people, hey, buying a hot tub could be the best investment you ever made because most of the, the God-spaced conversations I've had with my sons have occurred in the hot tub when we're just kind of chilling and sitting there, reflecting on the day, looking at the stars. And it just kind of flows naturally, like we're talking about something – Hey guys, I'm wondering what about this? And and it's so it's it's uh, it's organic, it's sincere, it's real. Uh and when you start to wonder well, um I think it just creates pathways for uh conversations that are memorable and I'm hoping that of course then in turn because my sons have experienced that, they would do that for their children someday. Yeah, it's funny. We uh, Several years ago, you know, I've been a pastor all my life. I've been in full-time ministry since 1990, and my kids have gone to church. You know, it's they did the whole thing, right? But the, one of the stories they talk about the most was one year we're, uh, we're in a, a bar and grill having, I think we had a big plate of nachos, and I said, hey, guys, let's give the waitress a 100% tip. Why would you do that? I go, well, we're Christians. Let's bless her. And they still talk about to this day. Remember that time we gave that hundred percent tip, you know. And I yeah. think for men, a lot of times we men, especially you guys that have families, do not use bill pay, do not use any kind of automatic transfer when you're giving. You hand that check to your kids and let them put it in the offering basket. Let your kids see mm. your faith. Let them see how you're loving other people. Let them see how yeah. you wonder 
at the that guy whose shirt says pray first which has just happened to be about a month about a week ago you know let them see your wondering let them see your question asking let them see how you love people let them see you praying for that waitress and then giving her one heck of a tip <laughs> afterwards it yeah doesn't work. it doesn't hey. work if you tip her five percent after you ask her to pray for you that makes maybe worse <laughs> it, absolutely let me share a quick story of a, of a mother who who took this idea that you're hitting on here to heart. Uh, she lived in New Zealand, read my book, loved it, and said, "Hey, I want my my 16 year old daughter is in a very, you know, uh, worldly school. You know, no hardly any Christians. She's one of the few, and so she would come home many times in tears over some of the stuff she heard or some of the ways that girls treated her or whatever, and." they would start having wondering brainstorming sessions where they would uh, just think of all the things they could wonder about the situation. And the next day she would go to school. They would pick one wondering question. She would go to school and come back and follow up one of the conversations that she'd had at school the next and, and throw the question out. And so her mother was in a sense being involved in the process of guiding her daughter in terms of how to wonder and to wonder well, and uh, ultimately helping her to process all that she was hearing. And I thought, what a beautiful example. Well, and I'll tell you what's fun for me is going back into the restaurant and going, hey, Heather, I'm praying for your knee reconstruction after the accident. How you doing? Because mm. Heather's going to forget me. I'm just a guy who had a meal. But when I remember her name and I ask her about the thing yes. I've been praying for her for, that makes an impact. And then it makes an impact with the people who are with me because I think we need to, as men, lead the way in loving other people, lead the way in being a light. You know, God has called us to say, God has called men and said, men, I want to put you on display, but I want you to put yeah. me on display. So when I put you on display in humility, put me on display. Mm. And so we put God on display when we live as he did, humble, kind, uh, seeing the 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 good some being the good Samaritan, so that's so so good, so it's so powerful today, Doug. I really really appreciate. You. Do you have any closing thoughts? Well, I I love what you just ended with there because I think at least from my perspective, what is the arena? Yeah, the arena is, is the life that God has called each one of us to, and we have to ask ourselves, okay, what's the battle for? I believe the battle is is for men and women's uh, souls for. Yep. What do they all say? I do to Jesus or I do to the enemy uh, that ultimately the battle is for the will and the mind and the hearts of the people. So if we're going to be in the arena, we need to realize what the battle's for and we need to go to our place ready for God to use us to, to win people back to the one who created them. And to me, when we're living that kind of a Christian life, when someone says, oh, man, the Christian life is boring, I'm going, you need to come hang out with me. I said, listen, this life is not boring. When you're in that arena, and, and let me tell you, when, when you experience God use you, you cop a Jesus buzz. You want to talk about getting buzzed? That kind of buzz, man, will leave you spinning for days. No, I agree. I, there's no greater uh, experience than to be used by God in another person's life. And I mm. think, you know, Hebrews 10, 29 or 10, 39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but through faith mm. are saved. And the, I don't know about you, Doug, but maybe not so much for you, but for me, 
Whenever I go to a restaurant, whenever I get a cup of coffee, whenever I'm walking down the street, wandering, noticing, the greatest temptation is to shrink back. And God is saying, no, don't shrink back. But in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, do not, he says, lean into, lean on me. So that's the constant temptation. And so that's, but guys, here's what we're going to do. So Doug, how can guys find you and get a hold of your book? Well, my website uh, would be the greatest place to get to to find me and that's godsgps.com g-o-d-s-g-p-s dot com uh amazon would be the best place to pick up a copy of the book um there and uh my COVID reality uh one of the things that happened i was actually over speaking in russia and hungary at the time and and, and i came back in march march 15th to a whole different united states is uh gave me the time to do some people been after me at for a long time and that's create an audio version they can actually find that on my website if you're one of those people that just want to listen to it um you can find that on my webpage, godsgps.com man sure appreciate you coming on today guys let's get our boots on the ground so what is next what action items can you implement today because of what you heard and i'm going to give you something real fun and real simple and i'm hoping it becomes a habit The next time you go out to a restaurant, get to know the waiter or waitress's name and tell them, hey, man, we're going to pray for this food. We're going to thank God for this meal, and we will pray for you. When we're praying for you, is there anything specifically we can pray for you about? And watch what God does as you create God's space. So thanks Mm. so much, Doug, for coming on. Powerful. Hey, great being with you guys. Thank you. Dale, drive us home, brother. Yeah, guys, why don't you head on over to meninarena.org and check out Jim's newest book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a positive review. Do that, and we'll send you some swag. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out, and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.